You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. My name is Justin. If we haven't met, I'm so glad that you are here. One of the things that Daniel sang in that song was this idea of, I still don't know how to be yours, this concept that we find ourselves struggling with. And um, one of the things that I think is so true when we talk about identity and, and we, when we start to lean into conversations about who are we, what defines us, how do we find value in this world, we know that there is a battle in our mind, right? There's real estate that happens in our mind where it's almost that good angel, bad angel on the shoulder moment. You've had that, right? You're like, should I, should I not? This is a belief that I wish I didn't have, but I do have. And yet we find ourselves in the mix of all of that. And sometimes we have this elusive standard. I don't know if, if you had one, but maybe there's an elusive standard that somebody said, something so small, a teacher, a coach, a family member, or a friend. One of my buddies told me this. He goes, I remember what my grandma said when I was six years old, and I've never forgotten it. It's this elusive standard that I keep striving for, and I keep feeling the weight of. There's this band, I don't know if anyone here knows them, called Flowbots. Uh, they're a smaller band, uh, but they had this line, you know, they had this song, they said, there is a war going on for your mind. And it was filled with these distorted sounds and messages and lyrics coming in. And I found it captivating because we know this. We are the most marketed to generation in all of eternity at this point. Like there, there's the folklore stories, right? Like um, there's a story of Barbie being the first uh, toy marketed to children in the 50s. Like they began to shift the dynamic. Now we just carry supercomputers in our pockets and just get messages all day long. I'm not going to ask you to call yourself out, but you know you've had that moment where you're, you're, you thought your leg buzzed, so you checked your phone again, right? And you're like, oh, oh gosh, that's not a good sign, right? So we are these marketed generations. Even my son, son JJ, who's, who's four years old, I love it when we're, when we're watching something. If we pull up a YouTube video and ads come on, it's so pure. He's like, ugh ads. I'm like, I know, buddy. I know. Right? But this is the reality, and we have this complicated backdrop. While we're trying to pursue in this series, talking about what does it mean to find our identity in something stronger, something more foundational, something that gives us more strength and hope in this world, we have a war going on for our mind. The war between our ears. So last week, we talked about this idea of our identity is found in Jesus, in Christ, and it's one of the most anchoring identities that we can, we can have. And I, th- we talked about how sometimes we find our identity in what we do and, and what people say about us and what we think people say about us. Like, we are known to kind of allow our identity to be driven by so many other things, and yet Jesus reminds us, and Paul especially, we, we're going to be in Ephesians this whole series, Paul starts talking about finding our identity in Christ and the reminder that we are chosen, we are adopted, and that there is a promise promise of God's presence for us, that he'll go with us. And by the way, that, that desire of God to know you're chosen, adopted, and he longs to be present with you is not if you have it all together. That's actually one of the best parts of the message. It's regardless of if you believe this is God's longing, and yet we find ourselves with a war going on in our mind. And so this is what we're going to talk about today. So why don't you pray with me? Jesus, We're so grateful that we get to come together, that we get to gather together to encourage one another, to be inspired by incredible talent and people who just bring their gifts uh, so that we can see you in a new lens. We can see humanity differently. And I'm just so grateful for the partners that we have in this community of what you're doing in and through us and the ways that you're moving and the ways that you're inspiring all of us 
to see you differently and to see ourselves in this world differently. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to take a moment and receive our offering, and I just want to say this. Every time when we have this opportunity, we're, we invite you to give and be a partner here at Kensington of what's happening. I want to tell you, you are a part of stories that you may never hear about, but there are stories of impact, stories of uh, impact happening in our local schools in Pontiac, stories of impact happening in our Kensington kids, stories of impact happening in our high school ministry. There is an interconnected story that we are all a part of, because one of the things that I heard long time ago is that the message message of God's hope and goodness and grace, it arrives at you on its way to someone else, and we're a part of that story. Somebody else was a part of creating space. I know for me and my family, when we walked in here as children, when we walked in here, people had said, this is a place we wanted to create, and my family was transformed by that. And now all of us have been a part of that moment together to have impact beyond just these walls, but throughout our community. So as our ushers come forward, there's a couple different ways to give. You can give in the bags that they're passing or online. I know for us, that's our preference because I forget everything. So that's me. I don't know about you, but that's just me. All right. So I want to uh, dive into this series, ID Renewal, a little bit more about uh, in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 in just a few minutes, but I wanted to offer you an image before we do this. Okay, sometimes I like sharing images at the end or a thought, uh, you know, something that might be a little bit more memorable. I want to do that at the beginning because I think it will help us frame our whole conversation throughout our day. When I was a kid, I grew up here in Troy, and uh, I used to play soccer here in Birmingham and run around, and one of my favorite things that we did as a family is we went to Troy Days. Anyone here been to Troy Days? Come on. There's a couple of you, my people. Uh, Troy Days was this fair that was at Boland Park when I was a kid. And the thing about Troy Days that was absolutely epic is there was these tents filled with all of these games. And somebody created this idea that if you pay $5, you get to throw three baseballs at a couple cans. And if you win, you get a two liter of pop. Incredible marketing strategy. I remember feeling like I was amazing carrying like six two liters home, two miles and I had given up like $30 to do so. Didn't realize I could have just rode my bike to 7-Eleven and had a much better deal. Uh, but, you know, you still go to these fairs with our kids. And so we went to one locally just this other day. And it's, by the way, all the same games. It might even be the same people, right? Like it is, it is all the same. And one of the things that was at this one was the fun house. You know the fun house where you go walk into and there's all these mirrors, right? And then now there's videos on YouTube of people running into the mirrors and you laugh at them. You know what I'm talking about? The kind of the distorted images and, and what happens when you see a fun house mirror is it looks a little bit different, right? It doesn't quite look like you. It kind of is a distorted image of you and you see you're a little bit oblong, you're a little bit you know, skinny, you're a little bit twisted. So what I did is I couldn't get you a funhouse mirror in here, so I took some photos on my photo booth, okay? I want to show you. Here's me, right? And you see these images. Some of you are like, I would never do that. I go, I don't know why I did that. I was thinking about that earlier. These are very big images. But some of, the, some of these moments happen where you see these distorted images of yourself, right? And you know what's interesting when it comes to our beliefs is that often we view ourselves through a distorted image. We don't see ourselves through a true reflection. What we actually see is the twists and the turns, the things we can't really stand. Sometimes we allow those negative thoughts, those lies, to start to distort who we are. 
And even we'll start to believe some of the distortions that we heard as a child, as even a young adult. Like, we'll start finding ourselves allowing a narrative to be nurtured in our mind. That's the reality. That narratives that we have, distortions that we have, begin to be nurtured. And sometimes those narratives we start to believe, those distortions become distractions. And we actually start believing them and living our life according to those distractions and to those narratives. And they begin to overwhelm. And we kind of, what ends up happening, I mean, you might be, you heard a statement like, you're never enough. You're a failure. You're not good enough. Even in faithful journeys, Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, but maybe in your mind, even something positive that you're trying to do, it becomes distorted. Like, if I follow Jesus, I won't be unique. I won't be good enough. People will know I don't have my life together. And the only reason to follow God is if I have my life together. Otherwise, I need to keep everybody away. See, what happens when these distortions become distractions in our life, they begin to be a narrative or a soundtrack in our mind that start to disrupt our identity, who we are, and actually who God says we are and calls us to be and speaks into us. I was thinking about this. One of the narratives that, I, that I've struggled with, one of the narratives that can kind of plague in my mind over and over again, and started when I was younger, but then I remember when I was in the marketplace and I was working in purchasing, it began to increase. There was this narrative that I started to buy into that you're only as good as what you do for me today. I remember sitting with a boss, and I had a really good week in my job. And then as I'm talking to him, and I'm trying to navigate this, I'm like, yeah, but, but I did some good things. And he couldn't give me a word of encouragement. All he could point out is where I wasn't doing anything that he kept at the highest of standard. And I felt like the goalposts were moving. You ever felt like that in life? Because I thought, if I just get here, then I will have arrived, or I would have felt this hope that I longed for, this peace that I desired, but then the goalpost moves again. And you keep searching and searching. It just keeps feeling like it's out of our reach. Those soundtracks begin to speak into our identity and the cycle of lies because then what started to happen, the way I distorted it, is then I started to think of my boss even more poorly. I started to check him. I'm like, well, you're not doing good enough today. I didn't say that. <laughs> just to be clear, I thought it intensely. But I'm like, you're not doing good enough. Remember what you did yesterday? It doesn't matter today because you made me feel this way. Now I'm going to make you feel. And what happens is those narratives that are in our mind begin to impact and be nurtured into the way we see each other and our world. So how do we overcome these lies, these narratives, to embrace something that is more beautiful and powerful and more peaceful in a way that God sees us and speaks to us. I love this in the letter of Ephesians that we're diving into. We're going to be in chapter 3, verse 14 in just a moment. But there's this powerful prayer that Paul writes that gives us wisdom to navigate the negative narratives that is caught between our world. And, and Paul, I, I just got to mention this because sometimes we look at these scriptures and we have a narrative that we think about the writers. What's really interesting about Paul is... Let me put it this way. We, my, my group of guys that I have a small group that I meet with on Monday mornings at 7 a.m. And, and we were talking this week and we were talking about Paul. And one of the guys was like, you know, I've never thought of it this way. He goes, you know what it'd be like? Paul, before he was Paul, when he was Saul, he was a part of the religious elite. 
And this buddy of mine giving me a hard time, he was like, it's kind of like, you know, you being a Michigan State fan. And I was like, okay, where are you going with this? And he goes, you know, it'd kind of be like if you decided today to start cheering for U of M, it's kind of like Paul switching teams. And I was like, ah, that's really good. I go, let me, let me do one more. I go, no, I actually don't think, because I'm not that high up in the Michigan State folklore. I said, imagine Paul like this. Before, he was Tom Izzo. He was the top level, the elite class of leadership of the religious elite. And he used to, and he was at that level. And I, I don't like this analogy because I'm, don't worry, it falls apart. But imagine he decides to be assistant coach for Jawan Howard. What would everyone think? What questions and narratives would be out there? How would the blogs be going crazy? This is Paul. He was at the religious elite. And then he decides to start following the way of Jesus. And he starts learning from a guy named Peter who was just a fisherman. Some of you started laughing. This is the reality. When Paul writes these words, he has shifted his team. And he's saying, no, no, I'm following the way of Jesus. This is his way. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Think about that. Paul, who used to push against this community, now is one of them. He says, I kneel before the Father. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul is praying a new narrative to be nurtured in their minds, a new narrative of finding their identity not in what the world did, in power, in strength, in class, in the way they looked down upon others, in the way that they felt like they were the elite. But instead, he's inviting them to embrace a deeper vision of their humanity, that they are the Imago Dei, and that when they see others, that they are the Imago Dei. And that together there is a beautiful vision of love. Paul is, is placing this vision, this hope, saying, I want you to be rooted, established, and filled in God's love. He's basically saying, I want you to find your value in following Jesus, not in this world. I want you to find your value in being loved by Jesus, not in this world. I want you to find your strength in Jesus, not in your own strength, because it does not sustain. And he does this by saying, consider this type of love how wide God's love is. You know what's interesting about that? It's the idea of it, how all-encompassing and embraceful this love is, that it's available to all. Like Paul would speak of something he called the one new humanity. He said, though we may be different in certain ways, we are part of one new humanity, one new vision for all of humanity to engage in this world together. He says, this is the wide love of God. Then he says, it's long. What I, what I believe Paul was speaking to is it's not love that is temporary. It's patient. It has perseverance. Paul speaking to God's love has the patience and perseverance to endure the difficult seasons. Some of us, right, if we're honest, 
We haven't felt loved by God for a while. It has felt like it's been distant. And I believe that God say, no, no, my love for you is patient. I've been waiting for you. I've been longing for you to experience my love. Maybe you tasted it before, but you found yourself wondering, but I have endured. Some of you have family members, friends that you've been like, God, will you just meet them? Will you meet them in their difficulty, in their pain, in their success, whatever it is? Would you meet them? And I think God, God is saying through Paul, like it is persevering and patient. And so maybe for some of us who are praying for people to come to know Jesus, to experience their identity in him, maybe our prayer is this, that we are praying that God's love would be long and would be patient and would meet those friends, family, children, with the hope that he has. He talks about it being high and deep. You know, God's love reaches deep into our discouragement, into our difficulty, into our fears, and into our frustration. And yet it's tall enough to be seen from a distance, to be seen from afar. It is tall enough to be embraced. God's love is wide, long, tall, and deep. It reaches to every corner of our lives. And one of the things I love about God's love in this is that it isn't dependent on you getting it all right. It doesn't say God's love is only this way if you do these things. We talked about this earlier this fall. God doesn't say that. Only if you jump through these hoops. Only if you go to church enough. Only if you do these things do you receive my love. No, no. God's love is far different than that. It's even if. Even if your world is falling apart, my love is still this way for you. Even if you felt distant, my love is still this way for you. Even if you don't have your life together, welcome to the family because we all are jacked up. Like that is what Paul is saying. And so many times when we feel that war between our ears, that war of our mind, that battle of the negative narratives that start to plague us, God invites us to wander within the mystery and wonder of his love. He's saying, if you didn't get it on Tuesday, you're done with me. Oh, I want you to keep coming back. And he, and he says, even this, right? Paul says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, notice this next word, together. Together with all the Lord's holy people. Together. It wasn't done in isolation that this journey was happening. It was together to grasp that width, depth, height of God's love. It is really this, this truth that I think sometimes we battle when we feel that war between our mind that sometimes we're isolated and we put ourselves in isolation. We isolate away because maybe we feel like we can't tell people what's going on or we can't be honest or we can't, we can't get into conversation or, or we fear what they will think if we share what's going on in our world. And, and so we sit in isolation. But I think what Paul's saying is, is instead of isolation, I have this prayer for interconnectedness so that while you are wandering and wandering up and down paths, he's saying choose the path of interconnectedness rather than the path of isolation. Like, think about in your world right now, the things that's weighing on your mind. What are the things that you find yourself just isolated and just choosing to, to not talk about, to not be honest about, to not bring other people into, and you don't feel a sense of freedom as a result of it? Paul's saying there is a better way. There is a way, a path of interconnectedness with others. You know how people always say misery loves company, which is like true? 
right? You're like, if somebody's having a bad day, you're having a bad day, you're like, let's come on, give me the tea. Like, tell me what's going on. Who did it? You know, it's like we, we do that. But I also believe hope does too. Hope has a powerful thing that in the company of others where we can cling to a greater truth together. When there's somebody hopeful, when there's somebody who has a vision, there's something that connects us to something greater. I mean, I would say this, part of the reason why I'm here, why I moved from our, our jobs that we had and Jenny stepped away from her job is because of the hope that I feel when I'm around Steve Andrews, our founding pastor. I'm like, when I would sit with him, I'm like, yes, there is something I want to be a part of. So I'm willing to sacrifice some things to see what that's like. When we experience that hope and that freedom, it tastes so sweet. I love movies. One of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. Can I get some love for Shawshank? Come on. Yes. Oh, my people. Yes. When Andy crawls through 500 yards, five football, I'm, I can't, I'm not going to quote it. Okay, five football yards of muck, and he crawls out of that tunnel. Do you remember that image that he had at the end? When he gets out into the water and he tastes freedom, he takes away the things that has defined his identity. He removes the things that somebody else has said about him, and he embraces freedom, and that image to me is an image that I believe God is inviting us into when people have an understanding of God's love that is far different than our world, the peace that is so different than the peace that we are longing for. Maybe we've tried and been found wanting, but when we experience hope that is different, there is a narrative that begins to shift in our mind and a narrative that we can begin to nurture. I was thinking about this. Even something so simple for me Maybe you're not wired like this, but for me, there was a season when I was in my cubicle, I remember very clearly the music I was listening to. And it was whiny rock. That's the best way to describe it. Not even really rock. It was just whiny music. And I remember listening to these songs and being like, yes, I feel this way. I'm stuck in a cubicle. You know, it's like, it was like lethargic for me. But eight hours of that, 40 hours a week, really jacks up your mind. I remember like leaving the office and being like, I'm so depressed. I am, I can't see. Like, and it was like all of a sudden, it wasn't like I noticed it right away. It was like I was deep in it. And I realized like my mind was wandering and I felt like just depressed in that season. I remember talking to a friend about it. He goes, what have you been, what is the narratives you've been listening to? I'm like, all the whiny stuff. He's like, well, maybe stop that. I was like, okay, I'll listen to country. No, I'm just kidding. I, somebody, I apologize, I offended somebody. <laughs> but I started, I started shifting the things that I listened to, and I remember the soundtrack becoming different. But that's a silly example. Just recently, I called up a friend of mine because I started noticing a narrative in my mind that I was stuck with, a narrative of the view of me, myself, a narrative of the way that I saw some things, a narrative of what I felt in some interactions, and I remember feeling this difficulty, this uncertainty, this, this feeling of like, ah, this doesn't feel like this is, this is where I want to be. This is where my mind is. This is the struggle I have. This is the narrative that is being nurtured in my mind. I just remember feeling that weight. And I, so I called up a friend. And luckily, my friend is also a therapist, good friend to have. And I was like, hey, can you speak me through this? Can you teach me what it is that's going on in my mind? That Why can't I let go of what, this one thing that was said to me? And why am I carrying that as a weight? 
And I remember as he spoke words of truth and life to me, as he gave me some wisdom, I remember almost like Andy in that moment, the liberation and freedom begin to kind of come off of my shoulders. We need people. We need to choose the path of interconnectedness because some people's view of God, some people's view of this world, some people's view of us help shape those distortions that we've been living in and speak truth to them. And maybe they hold up a different mirror and say, this is who you really are, a clear mirror, a one that offers a true vision of God's love for you, his wide, long, high, and deep love. Paul continues in Ephesians 4, and he says this. This is how he speaks into how do we navigate these difficult moments, this war? What do we need to do maybe as a next step in this? And he gives three primary steps, and we'll find them here in Ephesians 4, verse 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. And remember, we talked about the Ephesians, Ephesus, this community was really worldly and Greek at that time, right? So for they live, they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against them. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But this, notice this statement. But that, that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, he says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. And instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You know, it's interesting, Paul is giving these three specific action steps. Now, I want to cling to them and give you a word, maybe to remember them. The first thing he said is, throw off your old nature. I'm going to give you the word retire. Retirement sounds great, doesn't it? Um, I remember my mom retiring, and then she came out of retirement, and then she went back into retirement, and she was like Michael Jordan, okay? And, and what's interesting when you think about the word retire, to throw off your old ways, is there is an old nature, an old way of living, an old way that you defined yourself, or maybe were deceived into defining yourself. And what happens is sometimes we've allowed that to stick, and we need to retire that way. We need to retire those types of decisions. We need to retire to put away the things and not be like Michael Jordan and pick it back up, but again, walk away. Because we know that those choices, that life, that distortion isn't for us. It doesn't speak hope and life into our world. And some of the things that we're doing right now, just as what steps us into the second step, is we have a couple different opportunities for you. We talked about this last week. We've been doing this digital devotional. You can text the word identity to the number on the screen. You can find that on our social media page. But the idea is as we journey through this idea of identity, one of the things that happens is when we retire old thoughts, truths in life, we have to pick up something new to help guide us. And one of the things we wanted to invite you into is a daily digital devotional. There was some music this past week, a playlist to listen to, a new soundtrack to have in your mind, a new narrative. There were moments where uh, we talked about... Um, uh, scripture in Ephesians where we have spent some of our time. There was a prayer prompt. Like these are just things to try out and experience because when you take that new step, something begins to happen because you're replacing the old narrative with a new one. That's why we talk about, Jenny talked about groups because sometimes, like I said, 
there have been people that are interconnected with us to walk with us, to engage us, to speak truth into our life. And we need that. We need to take those steps because those new opportunities might break into new moments of God's grace breaking into our life. And, and why that is, is when we retire the old, we replace, we renew our mind and thoughts with different thoughts. We, we replace what was old with something new. And that's what he says second, is that we're rep- renewing our thoughts and our attitude. So where there is a distortion, it's not just easy. I mean, we all have done it. It's like, don't think that. How well did that go? Right? Like, I think about it with my children. When I'm like, don't do this. They're like, okay, Dad, I'm going to do exactly what you just said. Right? This is what happens. When we say, don't, 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 we know it doesn't lead us in a better direction often. He said, what am I going to do? Renew your thoughts and your mind. I love what Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 5. He said, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind is governed. Notice that. Governed. By what the flesh? By the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And that word life isn't biological life, isn't psychological life. It's a vision for whole life. Our whole being begins to experience peace, not just a small segment. So what happens is when we take a step from old to new, right? when we replace what is old with something new, we begin to experience maybe new truths, new hope. I'm going to give you this list of uh, scriptures, this list of identity scriptures And on this list, you can take a picture. I promise I'll post it on our Facebook page as well. But I will tell you, for me, like uh, looking through these scriptures, I have this photo, basically this list of scriptures next to one of my daughter's beds. We talk about it because would she, the narrative in her mind that I see her struggle with, we want to replace that narrative with something more positive, something more hopeful. For me, there's one in Galatians that's not on this one. But uh, in Galatians 1.10, oh, I actually messed it up. Ephesians 1.10, that's wrong. Uh, Galatians 1.10, moment of honesty. Uh, Galatians 1.10, it says, for you are approved, not by man, but by God. That was my identity scripture. I have clung to that scripture now for 20 years because I found myself longing for the approval of people. But that isn't the way to replace the negative narratives in my mind. It's to think about what you think about me. That won't get me anywhere. It doesn't work. But to replace my mind and my thought with what God thinks, there is hope. And the last is repeat. The third thing that Paul says is to put on your new nature. Where he said, retire, put away your old nature. Now he gives a vision. Now put on your new nature. Repeat the process. Repeat the process. Through the journey of becoming more like Jesus, our hearts and minds are changed. But in that journey, so many times when we stand in front of the mirror and we see the distortions, the negative talk, and we desperately long for something different, the old, when we begin to retire that old and step away from that mirror and we start to move towards what God sees, what we're doing is repeating the process. The journey of following Jesus is not perfect. It is not, 
It is not just easy and up and to the right on a graph. It is a journey of up and downs because we're constantly navigating the different things that we're living in, the lies and distortions we felt, but we repeat the process of replacing what is old with something new. We repeat the process of looking at those lies and say, I'm not going to live there. I'm going to choose to go a different direction. We repeat it because that is what God is doing when he walks with us and when we walk with people. I love how John Acuff a writer that talks about soundtracks, he said this. He said, God found Gideon in a hole. He found Joseph in a prison. He found Daniel in a lion's den. He has a curious habit of showing up in the midst of trouble and not the absence. And where the world sees failure, God sees future. Next time you feel unqualified to be used by God, remember this. He tends to recruit from the pit and not the pedestal. He recruits from the pit of our life. When we have found ourselves struggling, what God ends up doing is he begins to allow us to discover his identity he has for us. One that is more hopeful and loving. One that is about a discovery of following him. And you know, it's interesting when we realize this. When we realize this truth, when we move and retire what is old and replaces what is new and start to repeat the process, we begin to realize that we do overcome through Christ. We do overcome the negative narratives through Jesus. We do overcome those moments over time. We overcome the lies and the negative narratives because of Jesus. Like through Christ, we overcome the routine that keeps us stagnant. Through Christ, we overcome the lack of peace. Through Christ, we overcome the fear that plagues us. Through Christ, we discover our unique identity, our unique purpose, our unique strength, and our unique authenticity. Through Christ, we begin to replace what is old and cling to what is new. And that is the invitation of how wide and long, and high, and deep is the love of Jesus. You are never too far gone, and you are never not enough for God to move towards you and invite you into the journey. Say, you are valuable. You are loved. Will you allow me to walk with you? And thank God, because if it's dependent on us, we're all in trouble. But because he has overcome, we get to experience the hope of his promise. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.